everyone. I'm Mike Urbans, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm glad you found us. Today, we have another very special guest phone interview, Marianne Metzger with ResinTech. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> good. Good. Thank you for showing up and by phone. You know, one day we'll do all this by... I'm actually starting to do in-person interviews again, so... But the phone actually works pretty good. People don't seem to care, so it's it's good. We keep every our social distance. You're in Ohio, right? So we're keeping a really big social distance. So today we're going to talk about the supreme importance of a quality water analysis and lab testing. This is one of my pet peeves. And uh, Marianne, she's an icon in this testing world. So. Without further ado, how did you get started in the water quality industry? I know you're somewhat of a lifer, Marianne. It's kind of ironic a little bit. Uh, I ended up in this industry because I moved too far away from my previous job. <laughs> I used to work for a hazardous waste facility here in Cleveland, and I had moved and my commute was like an hour and a half. So I started kind of looking around and... I ended up at National Testing Labs, which was a much closer commute, and I fell in love with the job, I fell in love with the industry, and I've been in testing ever since. How long ago was that? If you Well, past 20 years at this point. I think we're close to 25 years that I've been doing this. You know, started with National Testing Labs and moved around a little bit, went back to National Testing Labs and... Now I'm with uh, Resentex, heading up their laboratory services department. Now, is it Resentex Labs or is it just Resentex and then you work for the lab division? It's Resentex and then I work for the lab division. Okay, because I, I went there. I was completely blown away, you know, but I was an uninitiated. I've never been to a, a lab as, like, as amazing as that. You see them on TV, but when you see it in person... You got to be like a kid in a candy store in that place. I mean, it is a very nice facility, lots of fun toys to play with. <laughs> Marianne's also our EWQA, Eastern Water Quality Association Executive Administrator. So she's got a lot going on. But yeah, so you landed in a great place. Congrats. And uh, we're starting to do our testing there too. But why is a water analysis, and this is kind of tongue in cheek baited question. Why is a water analysis so damned important? Just tell us. I think you can agree with this. And anybody who's been in the industry for any number of years, you can't fix what you don't know. You don't know it's there. You can't actually fix it. So especially when you're talking about well water, where it's basically a complete unknown, a water analysis, and especially like a lab analysis that's, you know, a nice complete analysis is going to be your best friend when you're going to try to treat something like that. You just can't treat what you don't know is there. And it's amazing how many, and I'm going to call a lot of you guys out, that come to me and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's got a little bit of iron, a little pH there. I'm like, get a test kit. If you're not going to do a full-blown lab analysis, buy your own kit. It's akin to going to a doctor and not getting any testing done. It's like, oh, you know, I got a pain in my side. It's really killing me. 
Oh, we'll start with your gallbladder and then we'll move over to your pancreas. And then maybe, you know, it's like, come on, you gotta, yeah, he's going to do the blood work. So we want blood work. And um, so that's why it's so important to get even a basic, you know, you buy a test kit and it's a basic analysis. But Marianne takes it way up, you know, because then you have a certified lab. Are you certified for where? We are certified under our ISO accreditation, and we are working now towards our NELAC accreditation through the state of New Jersey. So that's quite the undertaking and will probably take us, I'm going to say, at least 10 to 12 months to get certified. And you slipped a brown envelope of cash to the guy on the... No, Jeff's going to kill me. No, it's actually, they're extremely thorough in New Jersey, which is good. I mean, when we do a lot of work in New Jersey, because there's a lot of bad water, you know, a lot of a lot of things have been dumped over there. Unfortunately for New Jersey, now they're cleaning it up. But one man's dumps another man's, you know, money. But they're very, very, very thorough with their, say, protocols. And I don't blame them. But the other part of it is, is, Okay, we can take a test, but they have to be a, I call them our dealers, a forensic analysis where you have to tell us what the patient has or died of. <laughs> you know? And your patient being your water softener, existing equipment. So do you have any, I have some things I could preach about, but do you have any like best practices for like the most important thing you can do for sample collection? Well, I mean, it it all depends on what you're looking for and what you're testing for. I like to have my customers actually talk to the end user about what it is that they're experiencing, because a lot of times they'll talk about things that they see and they smell and they taste and things like that, but also talk to them a little bit about their health, because you might uncover things like somebody has, you know, a particular allergy to, let's say, copper. So you want to make sure that you're testing for that. You know, if somebody in the home has autoimmune disease, you know, those types of things, those will lead you towards what you should be testing for. So don't leave that out when you're talking to your customers. A lot of the like more dangerous things in water, things like lead and arsenic and uranium, there's no taste, there's no odor, there's nothing associated with it. You don't actually know it's there until you actually test for it. So asking those questions and then also knowing a little bit more um, about the area that you're working in. Refer back to like USGS has a lot of information about what might be in the area as well. So I think it's important to like educate your clients about what you know might be there that could potentially be harming them. And then, you know, test for it. Give your customers peace of mind. It's, uh, you know, and it's funny you mentioned that, you know, I always come up with stories, but we had a pipeline come through and it caused a lot of, a lot of issues, but it really wasn't from the pipeline leaking. It was actually them drilling to put the pipeline through. They had to put that, those horizontal drills in. So what was happening is they're high pressure. So they were these drill bits in the drilling fluid was actually impacting shallow wells. So it literally wasn't the pipeline, but it was the, the drilling, the construction of that pipeline. So flash forward, there was a lot of people 
thinking it was the leaky pipeline, blah, blah, blah. And so they tested all these wells. Well, we found one that had gasoline byproducts in it. We're like, well, this this pipeline never leaked, and you're about 100 yards away from it, and they don't use toluene in uh, drilling fluid. It's pretty much a vegetable base. And um, here it turns out that a million years ago, not really, you know, it seems like it, a tanker truck full of jet fuel crashed and there was a big spill. It was a long, long time ago. And these people never knew they had it in the water and they would never thought they had it in the water unless they were hyper-focused on the drilling process. But it just so happens that with a uh, super, you know, we went in NTL because Resentech wasn't up and running yet. And we found all these hits. And, you know, here the pipeline company was like, wasn't us. It was this truck that crashed years ago. But that's why beyond your test kit, if you, like Marianne just said, beyond your test kit, you do the interview and then you start peeling back the onion of some VOCs, some other heavy metals that are there that your little handheld test kit can't test for. So if you get in trouble uh, with your equipment and all that, there's two big labs now. I mean, for under 300 bucks, you could get one hell of an analysis of your water. So yeah, that's a good one. Any other notes there, Marianne? I'm I'm kind of doing the talking, sorry. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of like when the big uh, hydrofracking came through. I mean, in Pennsylvania and Ohio, people were concerned that that was going to affect the well water. And kind of what we found was in order to prove that in fact, this drilling had an impact on the actual well, is these people had to have a test prior to the drilling. So that kind of created a, a, a little bit of a boom for the labs going out and testing prior to that. But I mean, it makes perfect sense. How can you prove that a company impacted the well if you have no data for prior to the drilling? And it's exactly for that reason that you described. And I think it's interesting, especially when, when you have well water, you're the person who's responsible for the quality of that water, yet these people, most people don't test on a regular basis, at least for anything significant. So, I mean, people have to realize when you do have that well, you know, you're responsible for the quality of the water, and that includes testing it on a regular basis. That's a great point, and that just blows my mind, you know, I... I don't have well water, but I have a home with a community well, which is well water that is pumped everywhere. And we had to do all that fracking protocol before they came in. And, you know, we were finding uh, some levels of barium, but it wasn't, they didn't start drilling yet. There was a lot of things that we found in Northeast PA that wasn't connected to the, the fracking thing because it was already there. Some radiologicals. There's a real hot spot up in up near uh, Due Shore, Pennsylvania. We call them hot spots because they had uh, some radiologicals in the water there. And, um, you know, instantly you would blame the, uh, the frackers uh, for doing that. But, you know, but they're going down a mile. It's, uh, what I think about the fracker guys is that it may be years down the road. 
you know, if one of these these wells, the grouting and all that starts to be compromised, then there'll be problems when everybody's abandoned, like old abandoned coal mines, you know. But right now, it's not really an issue. But testing, it's it's so important. It's the most important thing you can do and very thorough. I mean, again, 300 bucks. I, I throw that number out there. It's being fair, right, Marianne? I mean, yeah, $300 is a good number. Yeah, to get. Uh, how many parameters uh, can for three hundred? You probably get like the deluxe package, which I want to say is at least a hundred, if not more. I'm thinking it's more like one fifty when you start to look at all the VOCs that you look at. Yeah, everything you wanted to know about your water, but you're afraid to ask. And back again to the the collection of this. You send out a kit. So does NTL. I have to be fair, you know. But they send out a kit. You fill the bottles, but you have to observe, you know, everything, right? You taste uh, color and odor and flushing the pipes. This is so important. And location of equipment. Is it before equipment or after equipment? I suggest you bypass and take your samples off the well tank and flush many gallons through it with the washing machine hose. Because what happens is, is the well tanks collect a lot of crud. And you get a false reading or an elevated reading, say, on iron or manganese because all that crud is on the bottom of that well tank. So you blow it out and get a really good, maybe a couple pump cycles. You can hear the pumps come on and off unless it's constant pressure. It's always on. But you get a couple pump cycles of water prior to the equipment. But, Marianne, do you want us to note if there's you know, equipment there, it doesn't really matter if it's a raw sample. It's just like, oh, this is what we're doing. It always depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the testing results. I deal with lots of people who, you know, have had equipment installed and now they want to make sure that it's working correctly. So, you know, obviously you want to collect a sample after that equipment, but I'd say a majority of the people that I work with are in the treatment industry. And a lot of times it is a raw water sample that you're collecting. And you're absolutely right. You want to make sure that you flush that system enough so that you are getting water that's directly from the well, that you're not picking up the crud along the way that's, you know, not necessarily in the water, but more like sitting in the pipes or the tank. So you're absolutely right when you talk about flushing the system. And that's an important thing when you're collecting a sample. Now, how about bacteria? I mean, should these guys wear like gloves and clothespins on their nose and, you know, <laughs> and booties and, and taking the sample? What should they do when they do a bacteria? They suspect bacteria. So what should they do to not get a false positive or, you know, if they don't suspect bacteria or what should they do when they collect for bacteria? So when you're collecting a sample from bacteria, one of the most important things is to collect from the right type of sink. You don't want to collect from a faucet that has like one valve that goes for hot and cold because bacteria can collect in there. So it's best to collect from a sink that has separate hot and cold valves. You want to remove the aerator and you want to actually use like an alcohol swab to disinfect the end of the spigot. Traditionally, I do wear gloves. If you don't have gloves, that's fine, but make sure that you wash your hands thoroughly before you collect a sample. And I would say one of the most important things that people kind of forget about 
and I've done this numerous times in the field. It's just, you know, something that you might offhand do. But when you take the cap off the bacteria bottle, make sure that you don't set that down so that you possibly contaminate your own sample. So I like to hold the cap in my hand while I fill the bottle to make sure that, you know, I'm not potentially cross-contaminating my sample. And especially if the house is real grody, you know, it's like, yeah, but yeah, uh, the fact that back to the fracking guys, they would get into some places that are extremely rural and the, these people lived, you know, isolated, extremely isolated, let's say, and they didn't want anybody to come in there anywhere near their house. And I could bore you with crazy stories of people who are live extremely isolated and want it to be that way and how they had to get the samples from these people and how uh, there was some young ladies that uh, were doing it and how they had just finesse and they like, yo, we're just here. We're not with the fracking companies, you know, and, and these guys, they didn't get any guns pulled on them, but there was some crazy stuff. And um, one guy, as they were going up the driveway, he'd have signs. And the one sign said, you are now within range. So, yeah, you get all kinds of things. But that cap thing is, uh, you just don't think. You know, you just got to really think you're there in a membrane of bacteria, right? You got to really, if you don't want to have any false positives, as they would say, I guess that's what it is. But you got to really take care. But that's a great tip. Do you have any other tips? or? That's probably my best tip for bacteria I'd say the next best thing is when you're collecting volatile organic chemicals. Those are those uh, small vials that they have a preservative in there. If you're collecting, you know, certified samples, you're probably going to have to add acid to that sample as well. A lot of times on, on certified or informational tests, we don't like to put acid in the hands of people. <laughs> so it's very difficult to make sure that you fill that bottle and there's no air bubbles in there as well. And then you're also not flushing out the preservatives that are in there. So it gets a little tricky. My trick to that is to add a little extra water to the cap before you cap it on there. And that helps displace any air bubbles that might be there. That's that meniscus, right? Yeah. You want to form a meniscus, but not overfill it so that you're losing that preservative. So it's a real, that's usually like one of the trickiest samples there is to collect until there was like now PFOS and the instructions for collecting those samples are even more crazy. <laughs> oh yeah. Because anything could get, you know, and be in the air. If you're wearing a Gore-Tex jacket, I guess it could like sneak in there. <laughs> I mean, the really the instructions for collecting PFOS are really detailed in terms of what you can wear, what you shouldn't wear, just the sampling equipment that you might have with you. For other samples, we used to use like Teflon tube to collect other samples. Well, you can't do that to collect PFOS samples. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it's like a Teflon based kind of, it's right, the PTFE. You didn't even think of that because it's parts per trillion. We've, had, we've heard that number a lot lately for other reasons, but it's kind of mind boggling. It goes down to the parts per trillion. And isn't that NT slash L? What's the. It's NG, nanograms per liter. NG slash L. So if you see that, then you're in the, the trillion area. Yep. Wow. See? I mean, this old dog, 
I mean, it's just constant. That's why I love this industry. It's always changing. It's like, it is. There's always the next round of contaminants that are coming around. This is crazy. It's good to be in a lab business, right? So what do we look for in a testing lab? I mean, what should people want from their testing lab to know that they're a good lab or a bad lab? I mean, I hate to say it, you know. Well, I think probably the most important thing is if you need certification, you want to make sure that the lab's certified for what you need. The next sort of important piece of that is make sure that you have a good co- like point of contact who can help you. You're not sure what what to test for. That person, that point of contact should be able to help walk you through it, make suggestions. I know a lot of the bigger labs out there, you know, Pace Analytical, Eurofins, those are the kind of labs that you're going to go to and they're going to ask you, what do you want to test for? Well, if you don't know, they're not going to be able to help you. So that's why some of the smaller labs out there and some of the, you know, industry labs are kind of more geared towards helping you determine what you should test for, you know, are able to tell you, okay, maybe that detection level is not low enough for what you need. So you really want to make sure that you have a good relationship with your point of contact at a lab. Because those are the people that are really going to be able to help you when you need it, when you need a little extra help, when you don't know exactly what you're doing. Or, yeah, it even helps some interpretation of, you know, it's like, what is that word that's, you know, half a page long, you know, a VOC, it's crazy. Yeah, so that's a good point. That's a real good point. So, you know, in summary, the lab analysis is so important for people like me. Basically, engineer systems, the water doctors that uh, have to turn the analysis into equipment or solutions. If you don't have a thorough analysis, it just drives me nuts, especially if you're doing some high dollar stuff. I get it out all the time. You know, I just ask for simple things like, you know, TOC analysis uh, when you're using carbon. It's that's so important. TOC is like the dead bugs in the water, uh, the bodies, I call it the dead bodies, the organic matter that plays uh, big time into carbon analysis because carbon loves to grab up all that organic matter. And then it takes up all the seats on the bus and uh, arsenic, uranium, there's competing ions, competing anions and that take the seats up on the bus. And if we have a full bus, you know, we're not going to be able to treat well. So if I don't have an analysis, if, you know, or my fellow people out there do not have an analysis for uh, a thorough analysis, it's very frustrating. So thanks for doing this for us. Marianne and I are big boosters of the Water Quality Association, WQA for the national, but both Oh, I serve on the board of the EWQA. It's a permanent position till they, you know, take a vote to get me the hell out of there. You know, they just, they'll just wheel me out in my wheelchair and, you know, and my nurse and uh, I'll be done. But it's a passion for both of us. We want you to join. But Marianne, we do road shows. Can you tell people just briefly, I don't want to, I know we're doing test tips, but I have the, you know, the executive administrator here with us for the EWQA. So can you just give a just a quick pitch on what we've been doing and, and where we're going in, in our road shows and things like that? Sure. So the, the EWQA has expanded our, I guess, our shows that we do and the training that we provide to our membership. Previously, we used to have just a fall show and a, a one-day spring training show. We've now expanded to where we hold two spring training shows. 
We do one down in Maryland to uh, serve our membership down in Maryland, which has some special requirements for continuing education. And then we've also reached out to our New England members where we're doing some training up there. Usually we do that in March along with the New England Wildwater Show. So we do a one-day training up there, one-day training down in Maryland. We've also expanded last year where we do a summer barbecue, where we're going out to some of our manufacturers and suppliers locations where we're doing tours and things like that. Some legislative updates usually given there. And then, of course, there's our fall show, which I feel like has been one of the best shows out there in terms of being able to network with other members. I think it's been a great show for dealers. And I'd say this last year, we had quite a few new members who showed up. So exciting time. Yeah. And if you're from, I mean, Virginia North and you're missing this EWQA trade show in in September, it's like a full-blown convention. I mean, you have heavy hitters from the industry speaking and you have up to 40 plus vendors there and at one hell of a cornhole tournament so it's a lot of fun but it's a lot of networking if you want to hide in the shadows you can hide in the shadows but if you want to learn and network with people it's an amazing offering and the maryland show is central for our people down south too you know delaware southern pennsylvania Maryland and, you know, I guess bits of, of Virginia, you know, everybody's welcome to come down to that. But we try to bring, a, you know, more closer to the fan base. <laughs> so EWQA.org, right? Yep. That's our website. And uh, we'll leave you with that, everybody. We'll make sure everybody joins here and trust the frog. And uh, thank you, Marianne. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.